Well, good morning, church. You know, this is an amazing time to be a part of Battle Creek Church. You know, over the last year, we have seen hundreds of salvations and baptisms, along with hundreds more advancing in their journey with Jesus Christ through small groups and celebrate recovery. The incredible goodness of God that we are experiencing right now is not only because of your faithfulness to invite friends and family to hear the gospel and your generosity towards the work of God over the past several years, it originates long before today. 20 years ago today, a student pastor, his young pregnant wife, and their two toddlers picked up and moved their lives, their home, their ministry from a flourishing church in Arkansas and began their ministry to a struggling church in Broken Arrow called Gracemont. They were convinced God was in this move and through their faith and obedience, leadership and integrity, hunger and desire to see God move in this city Thousands every week gather in our now six local campuses and even more have experienced the gospel around the world through the ministry, consistency, and passion of Pastor Alex and Meredith. It has been 20 years of good mornings and great adventures. Church. As Pastor and Meredith, uh, would you come join me on stage for just a moment? Did you know that the average tenure of a senior pastor today is less than three and a half years? Pastor and, and Meredith, 20 years ago, God heard your prayer to be able to stay at one place, raise your family, and see a church flourish. Speaking of a church flourishing, I would ask you to save the date. August 20th of this year, we are going to celebrate 20 years of Battle Creek Church, and it's going to be a remarkable weekend. But today is about honoring our pastor, and for 20 years, you all have allowed us to get to know you and learn from you and be challenged to greater faith and obedience through your example of faith and ob obedience for 20 years, you have taught us the Word of God, and you have prayed with us and for us. So today, we pray that the next 20 years of your life and ministry would be the most fruitful of your life and ministry. So on behalf of the executive team, Pastors Council, the Battle Creek staff and congregation, and the hundreds of thousands of people literally around the world who have been blessed through your ministry. Today we celebrate and we recognize Pastor Alex, Meredith, Catherine, Alec, Eli, Ben, and Limley for 20 years of leadership and ministry. And as you always say, we know the best is yet to come. Church, would you stand and help me celebrate our pastor and his family for 20 years.
praise the Lord. Thank you very much. Um, thank you very much. Go ahead and grab a seat if you would. And, and, and let me just say to you, I, I'm not often speechless, but I, I am uh, speechless. And I thank you for allowing us to serve you uh, for the last 20 years, buying into the vision that God gave us, the staff team that has been at every chapter has, has been what God brought to us and we needed for that chapter, but God deserves all the glory. And uh, everything that Meredith and I and our family have given to this place, uh, God has returned to us a hundredfold over and over and over again in our lives. And we are beneficiaries of what God is doing in this place in the same way that you are are beneficiaries of what God is doing in this place. uh, We're thankful to be a part of it, and uh, the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. Let's pray together. Father, we give you glory and honor. And Jesus, we lift you up. We pray that you would be blessed in this place. You would be honored in this place. Today, you would take the word of God and that it wouldn't be black ink on white pages, but it would be the living word of God that that would move in our hearts and our lives and that we would leave different because we've experienced you and encountered you. Holy Spirit, we believe in your ministry. We ask you to do what you want to do in us today. In Jesus' name we pray, and together we all say amen and amen. Well, good morning, church. Uh, Let me begin today with a question, okay? I want you to think through movies that you've seen over the years, and and if you were to hear a spoiler that would ruin the movie, what's the greatest movie spoiler uh, uh, of all time? And uh, what? Okay, I'll be back. Yeah, that's right. Huh? Yeah, that's it. That's the one in my mind from a movie, right? From perspective. The, the, the greatest one in my mind is Darth Vader is actually Luke's father. And, and uh, the second one is Bruce Willis was dead the whole movie, right? <laughs> and, and the third one is Iron Man dies at, at the end. And if you don't know what I was just saying or what I was talking about, I just ruined for you Empire Strikes Back, Sixth Sense, and Avengers Endgame. But the greatest spoiler of all time was Jesus Christ, right? Jesus, when he told his followers over and over and over again that he would be arrested, that he would be tried, that he would be sentenced to death on a cross, but three days later he would rise again from the dead, his resurrection was not just a spoiler alert, it was the greatest event in all of human history, right? But, but in Luke's gospel, it didn't happen with a huge fanfare and a huge show, and, and it wasn't part of some big glorious demonstration. He, he, in Luke 24, if you got your Bible, turn there. In Luke 24, Jesus just shows up on a dusty road and walks with a couple of guys for a period of time, uh, dialoguing and discussing with them, and, and uh, asking some questions. And at some point in this conversation and in this walk, he eventually reveals himself to be the risen Christ. And and they go and tell all the others, right? And that's where I want to pick up in this story right now is in Luke chapter 24 and and verse 36, when, when they went and told the others, and it says, as they were telling about it, these two on the road to Emmaus, telling the others, Jesus himself was suddenly standing there among them. Now, Jesus shows up to all of his followers, all of his disciples, and he told them, by the way, that this would happen. 
He told them all about it. But in fact, we're reading this in the one-year Bible. Now we're several gospels into this thing, and it's so apparent how often Jesus told them, I'm coming back, I'm coming back, I'm coming back, I'm coming back. He told them about it, but they didn't believe it. He had spoiled the ending, but they refused uh, to, to believe what he had said. And now he shows up in a resurrected state, and he's got one thing to say. How would he greet them? What's he going to say to them in that moment? And, and this is what he says, peace. Peace be with you. That's what he said. Of all of the things that he could have said, what would you have said? I told you so. <laughs> right? Do you believe me now? All the females would have said, let me tell you where you were wrong. No, the, the, the one thing Jesus says is peace. He, he says to them, peace. R remember the followers of Jesus were scared. They were hiding. They thought they were next. That's what they thought. They had just watched their leader, their rabbi, their Lord, brutally executed by the Romans after being unfairly tried by the Jews, and, and they were running for their lives. And Jesus knew what they needed. And so he says, peace to them. Look, look at verse 37. But the whole group was startled and frightened. That They thought they were seeing a ghost. Why are you frightened, he asked. Why are your hearts filled with doubt? Circle that word in your Bible. Circle the word doubt. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. You can see that it's really me. In fact, the reason I want you to circle the word doubt is if you have doubts about Jesus, if you have doubts about who he is, you have doubts about that he is who he said he was, or you know people who have ever had a doubt, begin praying now about bringing them with you on Easter weekend. Because on Easter weekend, we're going to vulnerably and authentically deal with doubt head on. We're just going to tackle it, and we're going to look at what the Scripture has to say about doubt, acknowledge all of our doubts. Listen, what Jesus didn't do with their doubts in this moment is get on to them. He's not mad at them in this moment. He doesn't say, why can't you believe? What on earth is wrong with you? Instead, what he does is give them proof. He shows them the very thing that will set them free. And he shows them the evidence of the cross. And he proves to them in that way that he really loves them and wants to meet them at the point of their doubt. And Jesus was giving them a spoiler alert. And he's saying to them another spoiler alert. Now he's saying to them, hey, I know it's tough right now, here's the news. It's going to get tougher. But all of you are going to make it. Some of you are going to die along the way and on this journey. But all of you have a reason to be right here, right now. And the spoiler alert was not just for them. It was also for the world. The, the world powers that thought they had defeated Jesus were about to be completely and utterly proven wrong. And Jesus wants to remind his followers uh, of this as well. Jump, jump down to verse 44, if you will. When I was with you before, this is what Jesus is saying, I told you that everything written about me in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms all must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. He opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago. The Messiah will suffer and die and arise from the dead on the third day. Church, we are on the road to Easter. And that's the next big date on the church calendar. We mark it every year. We plan for it every year. And for some, Easter focuses on the cross. And that's a big deal of it. But that's only half of the story. Because without the empty tomb, the horrible cross doesn't really matter all that much, right? But Jesus showed them 
all of Scripture, all of it, points to these two things, right? That he would be killed for our sins and he would be raised to give us new life. And now Jesus is shifting gears in this whole story and he's going to tell us that all of the Old Testament prophecies and all of the writings are not just about him, but they're also about us. And what we need to do and our role in the story, look, look at the next verse in verse 47. It is also written that this message would be proclaimed you could put in parentheses, by us. It would be proclaimed by us, how? In the authority of his name, to whom all the nations, beginning where? In Jerusalem. What's the message? There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. The message, the Easter message, the message of Jesus' death, his resurrection, his power, his glory, it is for us to tell others about. It is not for us to keep to ourselves. And at the heart of this phrase is, at the heart of this is this phrase, in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In fact, everybody say that. In Jesus' name. Listen, look at what he says. In, in, in the authority of my name. That's what he's saying. In the authority of my name. You will do this. And we use that phrase in Jesus' name in church all the time. But to think that that phrase is just a tagline for our prayers or something we say when we're baptizing somebody is to really miss the whole point of what that phrase really means and the power that comes with it. In fact, an ancillary quick look at the scriptures at that phrase tells you all kinds of things. It will show you what we have in Jesus' name. And like here in Luke 24, Jesus himself says, we walk in authority in Jesus' name. We walk in authority, but there's so much more, right? When we pray, we pray in Jesus' name. Jesus' name. John 14, 13 says that whatever we, we ask in Jesus' name, God will do uh, for us. Acts 2, 21 says that we are saved in the name of Jesus. Acts chapter 3, verse 6 says that we can be healed in Jesus' name. John 17, 11 says that we are protected by the power in Jesus' name. Matthew 7 says that we may cast out demons in the power of the name of Jesus. There are so many things that happen when we call on the name of Jesus, when we employ the name of Jesus, when we rely on the name of Jesus. And in this chapter, Luke chapter 24, Jesus' final farewell to his followers, his spoiler alert to them, he's going to show us even more that comes with his name. And so over the next few weeks, that's what I want to talk about. And that's what I want to do leading into Easter. As we walk ahead to Easter, I, I, it's going to bother some of you, but what I'm doing is jumping ahead. And I want to show you the power that comes to us, those of us who are already a part of the church, in Easter and what that first Easter did for all of us. We're going to zero in on how great Easter actually is. In this chapter, Jesus highlights five blessings of his name. Five things that come with his name. Five things that we receive when we walk in his name. Five potential possibilities for you and for me in our lives. Simply when we call on the name of Jesus. The first one we've already read, uh, it, it's peace. Say peace. Jesus said, peace be with you. The, the first thing he wanted to give them was peace. Peace of heart and peace of mind. And the world looks for those two things everywhere. 
It looks for it in sex. It looks for it in relationships. It looks for it in approval. It looks for it in drugs and substance abuse. And by the way, speaking of substance abuse, there is a big vote, statewide vote, for those of us in Oklahoma on Tuesday, this Tuesday. And you need to hear me say, your job as a believer is to study the issue, study the scripture, and then take that conviction with you into the polling booth. You have a civic duty. Those of us who know Jesus Christ ought to win every election. And we ought to carry the gospel into the polls and and do our job in in that regard. The the second thing that we are provided is provision. Say provision. provision. Jesus wants to provide for your needs. In this story, while he was talking to them, he ends up saying in the middle of the conversation, the resurrected state, he ends up saying, anybody got anything to eat? The reason I believe is twofold that he did that. First of all, I think he's trying to prove to them, I'm not a ghost, right? I still have a body. He can eat. But I secondly believe that what he was trying to say is, I want you to know that your physical needs are on my radar. I think that's what he was saying. And how do we gain the provision of God? We gain the provision of God through scripture. And what did Jesus do in that moment? He taught them to understand the scriptures. The the third blessing that we have in in Jesus' name is purpose. Say purpose. Purpose. He told them what the scriptures said uh, of him. And when he did that, he didn't end it with the cross. Notice that. He didn't end the purpose of what the scriptures had said would happen to him with the cross. That actually was the starting point of where he started in this dialogue. And, And it leads them to tell others. You have to hear me today. Your purpose in life is not to accept Jesus Christ as Lord. That may be the greatest moment in your life, but that is actually the launching pad of your purpose in in your life. And and let's keep reading in in the text, if we can. Go back to the text. You are witnesses of all these things, and now I will send the Holy Spirit just as my Father promised, but stay here in the city until the Holy Spirit comes and fills you with power from heaven, right? Two more things he gives us in his name. That's the next one, power. Say power. The power of the Holy Spirit, power to live a holy life, the power to do what he wants us to do, the power to live the way he wants us to live, but also the power to tell others about him. And and then number five is the promise. Say promise. We have a promise, all kinds of them in the name of Jesus. And on April 2nd, in fact, mark your calendar if you would right now, April 2nd, that's Palm Sunday. Those of you who are new to our church, we begin Holy Week a week early. Holy Week for us begins on Palm Sunday, and Palm Sunday every year is what we call a Gospel Sunday, and where you bring all of your friends and neighbors and guests and teammates and all of that on Easter weekend. On Palm Sunday, I want you to bring people that don't know the Lord. I want you to bring people that need a relationship with Jesus. They may be atheist, agnostic, raised in church, never been to a church. They may be Muslim. They may be Buddhist. They may be confused. But on that Sunday, on a gospel Sunday, which we do three times a year, on a gospel Sunday, on Palm Sunday, on April 2nd, say April 2nd, 2nd. on that Sunday, we're going to share the gospel in a crystal clear fashion and give people a chance to give their lives to Jesus Christ and find out what the promise is for them in Scripture. Now, here's what I want to do for the rest of our time today. I want to go back to that very first thing that I mentioned of Jesus' name, 
the thing called peace. And I want you to go back to Luke chapter 24. Let's look at Luke 24 again. And and verse 36, Jesus himself is suddenly standing there among them, and he says, peace be with you. Now, let's dig into this for a second uh, today. There were rumors and there were reports of Jesus rising from the dead. There were friends and followers of Jesus who had seen him. That They were all told this is going to happen. That There was page upon page upon page upon page of prophecy saying he's coming back. And when he did show up, what's the response? Was it praise and adoration? Was it tears of joy and, and, and clapping? No, that it was met with fear. It was met with dread. It was met with surprise. And Jesus, had, so much Jesus had to say. And he begins with peace be with you. And here's the deal, and what I want you to see today is that what we often think peace is and what peace really is are often two very different things altogether. Two very different things altogether. Peace is not the absence of conflict. That's our definition, isn't it? When everyone's getting along, when things just seem to click, that's when we can have uh, peace. In fact, we turn that on its head and we think, I can't have peace unless that happens, which is not true biblically at all. But because peace is not the absence of conflict, it is the presence of God in the midst of the conflict. That's what peace is. World peace does not mean the end of all wars forever and ever. It means the presence of God in the midst of all of the nations. At Christmas time, many of you send cards out that that say peace on earth. Do you know the only time that phrase peace on earth appears in scripture is when Jesus says, do you think that I came to bring peace on earth? No, I came to sow division. Put that on your Christmas card. (laughs) In fact, what Jesus said is the opposite of that is true. You're going to have trouble. You're going to have trouble in this world, but take heart because I've overcome the world. And, And he brings us peace in the midst of our trouble. Peace in your house is not when everyone is getting along. Peace in your house comes when everyone who's arguing, uh, turns to God in the middle of the disagreement. And the real definition of peace can be found in the Bible. And one of my favorite passages about peace in the Bible is found in the book of Romans, Romans chapter 5. Look at what he says, therefore. I've taught you that. When you see this word, you ask, what's it there for? Which means you got to go back and find the context at the end of chapter 4. But we're not going to do that today. You can do that as your homework this week. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. Now, now let me just ask you to write in your Bible here, okay? This verbal phrase right here, we have been made right... We have been made right. Write this in your Bible. That is the word justified. Justified means just as if I've never sinned, okay? That's what that phrase in the original Greek means, that we have been made right, okay? In the sight of God or with God, we've been made right. In fact, take a line and draw it around this phrase because justified means that we have been made right with God, 
Are you following me? And there's different words that appear here, and you need to know the different words uh, that are appearing. In fact, let's, let's keep reading if we can. Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into this place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. Circle that word, in, in this phrase in your Bible, where we now stand. Right out beside it, Ephesians chapter 6. Because remember when Paul is giving us the armor of God, he tells us to put on our feet the shoes of what? The shoes of peace. The shoes of preparation and the gospel of peace. They're cleats. That's what he had in mind, right? A Roman soldier who wore cleats. We stand with the cleats of peace, the peace of God. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing the glory of God. Now, here's what I want to say to you today. If you're looking for the peace of of God, begin by looking at peace with God. If you're wanting peace in your home, Look for peace with God first. Jesus made peace between you and God so that you can have peace of mind, so that you can have peace of heart, so that you can have peace with your neighbors, so that you can have peace in in your decisions. It's not one or the other. It's that one follows the other. Without making peace with God, we cannot have the peace of God. Now, turn in your Bible over to 1 Thessalonians, okay? Uh, there's a place where all the T books start. We'll start with a T together. 1 Thessalonians is one of them. So flip over there uh, to 1 Thessalonians. And while you go there, let me tell you, 1 Thessalonians is the first letter Paul ever wrote. And as he's ending this letter, he ends it in a great way. And he ties this amazing bow over a whole volume of theology in one verse of Scripture, chapter 5 and and verse 23. Chapter 5 and and verse 23. Let's look at it. May the God of, say it, peace himself, you should circle that word in your Bible, himself, may the God of peace make you holy in every way and may your whole being, spirit, soul, and body remain blameless when our Lord Jesus, the Messiah, uh, appears. Now, here's what I want you to do. Take this verbal phrase right here, make you holy in every way. That is the word we would put in English as sanctify. Okay? The the Greek word, by the way, is, if you want to know, hagiadzo, which is fun to say, hagiadzo, sanctify in English, make you holy in every way. That's what he's saying in in the Greek. How how is he going to make you holy in every way? Your whole being. What's your whole being? Well, he tells us. Spirit, soul, and body. Your whole being is made up of three parts. Your spirit, your soul, and your body. Sometimes I meet people and say, well, we're dual. We're not triune. Well, read the Bible. We're created in the image of God. How many is he? Not a trick question. How many is he? How many are we? Three. There it is right there. Spirit, soul, and body. And when the Lord appears again, this is what it says. When the Lord appears again, what is that? That's the theological term for his second coming. Okay? A lot of theology here. The first coming of Christ was what? The very first Christmas. And Jesus rose again, spoiler alert, he ascended into heaven. We call it the ascension. He ascended into heaven. And when he ascended into heaven, here's the spoiler alert. The angel said, he's coming back one day. 
He's going to come back one day. And that day, according to Scripture, according to Paul, is called the day of the Lord. And when the day of the Lord comes, when He comes and He comes to get us, it's when we will be fully transformed into our resurrection bodies. And the very first thing that's going to happen there is the rapture. And I know some of you don't agree with that, but you're entitled to be wrong. The Bible is very clear on this issue, okay? And, and, and so this is a glorified body. There are three processes, three processes in this theology, okay? Okay? I gave you two of them a moment already. Justification, say it. Say justification. justification. Sanctification, say it. Glorification. Glorification. Three parts of salvation. And you need to understand this as a theologian. You need to understand this as a child of God. You were saved. You are being saved. And you will be saved. Three different words and all three are true. Okay? Justification, glorification, and sanctification. But, but until then, we live on this earth. And, and if you're looking for peace on earth, you're never going to find it. You're not going to find it. But what you can have is peace with God and the peace of God. But how do those two things happen? Well, Paul explains it, right? May the God of peace, the God of peace himself, some of you have toddlers, and what is the favorite phrase of toddlers other than no? It's all by myself. Let me do it all by myself. Let me do it. What is God saying here? This all by myself. I'm doing this in you and through you and on you all by myself. May the God of peace all by himself with nobody else's help do what? Sanctify you, your whole being. What whole being? The spirit, the soul, and the body. So the peace with God comes through justification just as if I never sinned. And that, by the way, happens in your spirit. That's Romans chapter 5, verse 1. The peace of God comes through sanctification. That's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 23. Justified means what? Just as if I've never sinned. That is the transformation of your spirit. That's where peace with God comes from. Sanctified, that's the transformation of your soul. The peace of God, peace of God comes in this part of the process, okay? And it works its way, look at what he says, from spirit to soul to body. Say it that way. Spirit, soul, body. Say it one more time. Spirit, soul, body. Why is that such a big deal? Because the order is everything. The world's way is backwards, now, let me just explain this because this can get confusing, and I want to give you a theology lesson. Can you handle that today? I want to give you a theology lesson because the Bible says that we are the house of God. Look at your neighbor and say that. I am the house of God. Now, say you are the house of God. So the house of God is not a building. It's us, right? We are the temple of God. And Paul says your whole body, spirit, soul, and body. Now, watch this illustration, if you will, okay? You are the house of God. There are three parts to the house of God, spirit, soul, and body. And I say this all the time, and every once in a while, some of you will text me and say, hey, how do you say that? Write it down this time so that you get it, okay? We are not physical beings with temporary spiritual experiences, we are spiritual beings with temporary physical experiences. You are a spirit. This is the part of you that is going on forever and ever. Without Jesus in a place called hell or with Jesus in a place called heaven. You are a spirit man 
and your spirit before you come to Christ, watch this, is possessed by the devil. It's owned by the devil. That's what possession means, ownership. Your spirit is owned by the devil. It means he owns you before you come to Jesus Christ. Now, what is your soul? Distinct from the spirit, what is your soul? This is how clinicians define it, okay? And I think it's fair. Mind, will, and emotions. Mind, will, and emotions. It's distinct and different from your spirit. In your soul, watch this, you have a sin nature, okay? You were born a sinner, before you sinned. You sinned because you were a sinner. You're not a sinner because you sinned. You were born into the sin of Adam. But you also have flesh, which is your learned behavior because you were born with a sin nature. Now let me compare before and after Christ for you, okay? When you come to Christ, you're no longer possessed by the devil. You are possessed by Jesus. He is the possessor. He is the owner of your spirit. You're no longer possessed by the devil. You are possessed by God in the person of Jesus Christ. Christ, okay? The Holy Spirit has moved into your spirit. He now dwells within you. Inhabited in you, in Christ, is God himself. In the person of the Holy Spirit, he now lives within your spirit and he bears truth and witness with your spirit, okay? I personally believe that when you come to Christ, your sin nature is cut away. That's the reason every time Paul uh, is translated by the English translators to say, you're doing what your sin nature wants you to do, I correct it because it's not a good translation. It's the Greek word sarx, S-A-R-X. It is not a sin nature. That's bad theology that comes out of a bad translation. It is your flesh that we're talking about. Your sin nature has been cut away. You don't have it anymore. The Bible says the old is gone. Behold, all things are, say it, new. The picture of circumcision in the Old Testament is the same as the picture of circumcision of the heart in the New Testament. God cuts away the sin nature when you give your life to Jesus Christ. That does not mean that you don't have flesh, which again is the learned behavior that comes from being born in a sin nature. So let me show you the principle, okay? Here's the principle. I call it this, this way. Peace out. Peace out. Look at your neighbor and say, peace out. See, peace has to come from the inside out. It will never come from the outside in. Here's what I want you to see. And you got to live out peace by working it out from the inside, okay? And so this is the Holy Spirit in this illustration. This is your spirit, your soul, your body infiltrating the world, right? Are you following? And, and so when the Holy Spirit pours into your life, it pours into your spirit where he dwells in, in your spirit, which also pours out into your soul, which eventually will pour out into your body. And, and if you do that long enough, it will eventually flow out into the world around you. What does that mean? It must come from the inside out. Now, here's the deal. The goal of the Holy Spirit, right, in your life, the goal of the Holy Spirit in your life is to pour into your spirit, which will infiltrate your soul and your body and then the world, is to pour into you and release into you the DNA of God. The DNA of God coming from the Holy Spirit into your spirit, released into your soul, released into your body. Sometimes people use the words spirit and soul interchangeably. They're not interchangeable. 
The spirit is your spirit, man, where the Holy Spirit comes to dwell. Your soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your, your spirit is, is here, completely owned by the Holy Spirit. Your soul, your mind, your will, and your emotions. Listen, my soul is affected by the way I was raised. My soul is affected by the sins I've committed. My soul is affected by the sins that were committed against me. My soul is affected by what my peers think. I, I got a problem in my soul, and the problem with that is that my soul is telling my body what to do right? That, that's a big, big problem, right? That, that, that you, you don't have peace in your soul if your soul is not piggybacking off of your spirit. You, you need to write that down because there's unbelievable truth in that phrase. You will not have peace in your soul if your soul is not piggybacking off of your spirit. Now, here's the deal. Your soul must agree with your spirit in order for the spirit to release the DNA to it. That's why you have to start with the truth. Because that's the way things really are. Despite what you've learned, you've got to start with the truth. Despite what you've experienced, you've got to start with the truth. The world, by the way, says that we do this this way, right? That we pour it into the world or we pour it into the body and somehow it's going to come up. It's never going to come up. It's backwards, right? It, it, it will not work that way. It has to start from here and work its way out. That's why we call it peace out, from the inside out. And the only way to handle this, and by the way, clinicians know this. They don't always practice it, but they know it to be true, that, that uh, you, you, you go uh, to the doctor and, and you've got an issue and you've got pain and you've got uh, issues in your body. Go to the next slide if you would, guys. And, and you go to the next slide. It happens all the time. You go to the doctor and, and they can't figure out what's happening, right? You've got all this pain. You've got all these issues. They examine your body, do all the scans, do all the tests, and they can't find out what's wrong. Why? Because you're sick in your soul. That's why they can't find it in the body. By the way, there's a word that they use for it. They call it psychosomatic illness. Psychosomatic. Psycho means soul. Somatic means body. That's Greek for soul to body. Your soul is affecting your body in this case. And the reason, listen to me, we can't find peace that way is because I can't fix me. And you can't fix you. My body is messed up, and the problem with that is that my soul is messed up, so neither one of them can fix the other one, right? It's one person in the ditch trying to get the other person in the ditch out. I got a problem in my soul, and so what happens? My body starts twitching. I got a problem in my soul, and it's damaged, and so it's telling my body what to do. The damaged soul is rubbing off on the body, and I've got all these symptoms, but I can't find any of the things wrong. That's what happens. Peace is not lost in the body. It's lost in the soul. Peace is lost in the soul so the body can't sleep. Peace is lost in the soul so the body wants to stay lying down. Peace is lost in the soul so the body wants to be depressed all the time. Listen, if you start with the body and then go get counseling for the soul, you're going to be in a psychosomatic cycle for the rest of your life. You've got to eventually start at the spirit. The one thing that the devil can't touch. And then the God of peace with the peace of God will justify your spirit, just as if I've never sinned. And when the soul learns to agree with the spirit, now there's a sanctification in your soul. And one day there will be a glorification in your body. And John, as Jesus was getting ready to be crucified, he's getting ready to be crucified. And this is what he says. Say it. Peace. 
I leave with you. And just so you're not confused, Jesus says, my peace. It's my peace. It's the peace of God. From the God of peace. My peace. I'm giving you. I don't give as the world gives. And I don't give what the world gives. You can look for peace everywhere in the world. But you will not find it. Because peace is attached to Jesus. He said it's my peace. Which means it's attached to what he accomplished. Which means what? It's the gospel of peace. But your soul must agree to the truth of the gospel and what the Spirit says to your spirit. They must agree, and when they do, the release valve opens up. When they agree, the release valve opens up. Then the peace of God that surpasses understanding is released into you and out of you. And here's the thing you need to catch. This is not something new. This is Bible. And you're not searching for something new either. You're drawing out what is already there. The prophet of God named Isaiah said in chapter 26 of Isaiah, And God, you will keep in perfect peace the one whose mind is stayed on you. In other words, we have to learn to hold on to what God said. And as we wrap this message up, let's take a look at Psalm 103. Turn there in your Bible, Psalm 103. Because this is a place in Scripture where a man of God is working this thing out. Psalm 103 is a psalm of David. And look at what David pens as he writes, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me will bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. This is David allowing his spirit to talk to his soul and tell it what to do. He's getting his soul to agree with his spirit. And we got to learn how to do this. We got to learn how to do this. In fact, look at what, what he says. And I just want to show you, okay, as we read this scripture, how you do this. That, that, that you, you walk through here and you say, soul, listen up. I did this for years when my kids were little. We would sit at the breakfast table every single morning, all through their elementary days, and they would all learn, and we would all say, soul, listen up. And then I would, when we finished telling the soul what to do and what to believe, I would, they would say, now, spirit, listen up. And I would speak a blessing over their spirits. Every day, till they were sixth, seventh, eighth grade. You, you gotta learn how to make your soul agree with the spirit. Now watch this. Soul, you are forgiven of all your iniquity. You declare it to your soul. Soul, listen up. You are forgiven of all iniquity. Soul, all of your diseases are healed in Jesus' name. Soul, you are redeemed from the pit 
That'll give you an attitude of gratitude, won't it? To, to know in your soul, in your mind, your will and emotions, you have been redeemed from the pit. It's not for you any longer. Soul, you have been crowned with steadfast love and mercy. Crowned with it. You're wearing a crown of steadfast, not weak, not, not going to run away from you. Steadfast love, steadfast mercy. Soul, 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 listen up. You will be satisfied with good. You don't have to chase evil. You will be satisfied and fulfilled with good good. And so your strength will be renewed in the name of Jesus, Yeshua HaMashiach. Church, when you learn this practice, you will not only be at peace with God, you will experience the peace of God to the degree that it will begin to flow out of you into the world. Isn't that the goal, that when we bump into the world, we spill peace off on them to the place where they end up in peace with God? The devil's confused this whole thing that said, hey, the MO of the church is to go just rattle the world. That's never the rattling that Jesus did. What Jesus did is bumped into people and spilled it out on them. And then they wanted what he had. And that's what we're going to do with our lives. And as you learn this process, the peace with God will spill out into the peace of God, which will spill out into the world that needs God. Can we pray together? Father, I pray today as we begin with your truth, what's true is what you say and what you declare in your word. And today we receive it. We open our hearts and our minds and our emotions and, and, and our wills to the truth of God today. And if you're here and you don't have the peace with God, you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, could I lead you in a prayer helping you come to that peace? People are going to pray out loud after me at every single campus. You're going to hear them. But if you want to pray and trust Jesus and give your life to him and experience peace with your maker, then pray after me and say, Dear God, I know I'm a sinner. But today I ask you to forgive me for all of my sin. Jesus, come into my life to be my Lord, my Savior, my forgiver. I want peace with you. In the best way that I know how, I turn my back on my sin and I trust you alone, Jesus. If you just prayed that prayer before we say amen, can I say to you, congratulations. We want you to let us know about it by either checking that card, the appropriate box on that card, dropping it in a receptacle, or catching one of the staff members at your campus today and say, hey, I prayed that prayer in a minute. They'll take it from there and they'll help you. But for the rest of us who already have peace with God, God, would you give us the peace of God in our lives, despite the circumstances we're dealing with? May we walk with the peace of God. Teach us to make our souls agree with our spirits who are filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And over this season, may we spill out into all of those we bump into the peace of God. In Jesus' name we pray, and together we all say amen and amen. Would you thank him today for teaching us the truth? John, if you would, come.